Well, this morning, I want to begin by addressing anyone who is a child or a teenager in here. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. And don't think that just because you're young, the kingdom of God can't break into your life right now. And don't think that the things you hear now won't remain with you many years later. Because I can still distinctly remember being 16 years old and hearing these words from a very godly man. He said, following Jesus is an adventure. And I'd never heard that before. I'd never even thought that that was even possible. And I can tell you now, I just turned 43 last week. I can tell you now, since the day I was 16 until 43, it has been not only an adventure, it has been the greatest adventure ever. Of all the things I've gotten to experience in this life, following Jesus has been the greatest adventure. This morning, I want to talk about the adventure of coming into the kingdom of God, of living with the spirit of the king in us, and to think about adventures on the front end, what we like about adventures is the same thing we don't like about them, is the unexpected nature of it. We don't know what's coming in, in an adventure, which is what draws us to it and makes us apprehensive. I keep going back to uh, the great story, The Lord of the Rings. I got a new box set of those books for Christmas. I'm reading it yet again. And uh, um, I want to, now that Trip Prince is no longer here, the ban on Lord of the Rings quotes has been lifted, so I can, I can go back to that book. Um, but this is early on in the first book. It says this, Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit, says this, it's a dangerous thing going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I have found that to be true with following the Lord. I did not expect many of the things that he has brought into my life, but I love the adventure and love walking with him. Christian freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ is something that is very unnerving to people. It's unnerving because we would rather have a list of do's and don'ts and check off the box. But this, this relationship requires more of us. We have to keep looking to him as we go through each phase. And what is true in my circumstance or your circumstance might be and probably will be slightly different than what is true in somebody else's circumstance. The only way to navigate through that is to do it with the Lord. The adventure is to go with the Lord. Um, many years ago, there was a band called Cademan's Call, and one of their artists, a guy named Derek Webb, uh, branched out from that group because uh, his record label was really constraining him as an artist and also as a prophet to the church. And he was looking in at the church and pointing out some things that weren't good. One of those was that chronic desire to have a list of what to do. Lord, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Give me the, the boxes to check off so I, I know what the do's and don'ts are. And he wrote a, a really um, piercing song about a new law. And his, his, these are just a couple of the lyrics. He says, don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Don't teach me about how to live as a free man. Just give me a new law. I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law. That describes something that is so tempting to many of us. Lord, just give me the new law. Tell me how to do this. Instead of the Christian freedom that we have, that we really are on this adventure, and Jesus says, come walk with me. He's the king of an incredible kingdom. 
And as the Apostle Paul said, it's the spirit that gives life, but the letter kills. If we had just that list, it would destroy us. But the spirit gives life. This adventure is not without a guide and a companion. And this adventure is about, it's about a transfer from one kingdom into another kingdom. And then in that new kingdom, helping others come in. And so there's a clash. It's this adventure is hard. I, I can appreciate it. So I like the Lord of the Rings so much. It's not an easy adventure, but it's an incredibly exciting one. So the adventure pulls us out of a world of darkness and into a kingdom of light. And then it sends us back into that world of darkness as light to lead others. And that's an incredible adventure. Now, my main point here is that Jesus in this passage is teaching us about the character of that kingdom. And if you'll turn with me to page 810 in a pew Bible, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount again. I had a text, a section from that last week, and the text appointed me for this Sunday is also from the Sermon on the Mount. As you get there, um, let me share something that I came across this week from Bishop N.T. Wright. He's a, um, an English bishop, the Bishop of Durham, and then he's an academic and a, uh, an author and a professor. And in a couple of his books, he talks about the, the progressive revelation of God's truth as being like a, a, a huge drama that has multiple acts. And there, there are these acts, like the first act was creation. The second act was the fall from purity into sin. The third act was the Israel, the people of God. The fourth act was Jesus. And the fifth act is the church. We are living in the fifth act. And what he said in, in one of his books that was so interesting to me is he said, imagine actors that only have the first four um, parts of the play, the first four acts in the written form, and they act those all out, and they study them, and they know their lines, but then they're going to film, or they're going to perform the fifth act, but they don't have any script. They have to improvise the whole thing. That's exactly what we're living in, and this book gives us the character of the kingdom. It shows us what Jesus did. It shows us how God has reached out to save people, and then it says, now come with me, and let's live this out. This adventure requires that kind of improvisation. And it's a little scary to do improv. There is not a script. There's not a new law. There's a relationship. And there are a couple of other things. But on this journey, we should ask, what does he expect of me? And then what does he offer to me to help me live this out? Now, I have to give you the context, which is why I prefer that you have a Bible open in front of you instead of just, you know, we look on the screens because there's a lot going on. Big picture context, as I said, we're in the act, personally, we're in the act, which is the season of the church. But in this time, when Jesus was writing, it was the act right before that, the, the season of Jesus. So we know things that his original audience didn't know already. We've experienced the other side of Pentecost. When he was first teaching this, they hadn't yet. The other thing is we're in the context of Matthew's gospel. And what you need to learn about Matthew is the gospel is all about the kingdom of God and the king who reigns over it. Jesus said the kingdom of God has, is at hand, so repent and believe. Right there is the invitation of how we get into the kingdom. And then it's about life in that kingdom. So th then we're in the Sermon on the Mount within Matthew. And let me back up to the beginning of it. Jesus did some amazing things. He taught with an authority they'd never seen before. He healed people. He cast out demons. He performed all kinds of miracles, and huge crowds were coming to him. And the ones who responded to his invitation to repent and come into the kingdom, he then took aside and began to teach. 
And this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't call it that, but he went up on a mount and he gave a sermon. And it starts in with the Beatitudes. Now, sometimes the Beatitudes have been misunderstood as a list of spiritual gifts. Like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. So you might think, you know, Chad's got poverty of spirit, but then Gary's got meekness and somebody else is mourning and somebody hungers and thirsts for righteousness. But that's actually not how it works. This is a description of a person who is a subject of that kingdom. And it's a chain where it's connected. So the poor in spirit means I recognize I'm a sinner and broken and I am not worthy of his kingdom. So I repent. I ask Jesus to come be my Lord. And the poverty of spirit now is what, is, is what led me into the kingdom. And then immediately I mourn. Not for the dead. Everybody does that. I mourn because of lost time. I mourn because I've lived in the kingdom of darkness. I mourn because my eyes were blinded. I, again, you guys that are young in here, come to the Lord early. Don't be that guy or that man or woman that waits until you're 70 to get saved. You will mourn more because of lost time. I praise God that in his economy, I was 16 when the gospel came to me. I still mourn that my heart at times goes after darkness and not light, but that's part of this process. And from there, blessed are the meek. Well, of course we have to be meek. How would you boast? How would you be prideful when you know that you're mourning because you're poor in spirit? And then you start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so the, the Beatitudes they keep rolling down. I'm not going to go through all of them, but they, they're a chain connected, and they are true of all who come into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, you're salt and light. So we are the witnesses of this kingdom of light into the, the existing darkness, and salt has to remain salty, otherwise it's good for nothing. And a light has to be elevated so it can be seen. And he says, let your light shine. Your good works. Again, it's not just grace, grace, but it's grace that then leads to a transformed kind of life. And when people look at that, they go, her life is different. I want to know more. They see the light and they're drawn to it. And so the kingdom breaks in. And then last week we said that Jesus fulfilled the law so we could obey it. And then I invited you to consider habits of holiness. He said something that was so provocative. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't even enter the kingdom. And at the end of the next section that we're about to look at, he comes to this conclusion. He says in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So he didn't lower the standard. He raised it to the true standard And the amazing thing is that he is going to help you become like that. He's going to help me become like that. Now, let's let's, um, consider the specific section I've been given. He gives six examples right after he says your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. He deals with anger, lust, divorce, lying, retaliation, and enemies. This is not irrelevant. All of us will deal with one or more of those within this week. Maybe this day, maybe before you're out of this service. This is so highly relevant to us. We are constantly dealing with this. And this Sermon on the Mount and what to do with this section has been taken a number of different ways. And unfortunately, incorrectly. So I want to I say what it's not and then also say what it is. First of all, it's not a new law. It is not a new law coming down from the mountain to say that old law was wrong. Here's the new law. It's a correction of bad teaching and bad interpretation of the the law that came through Moses. And it is giving us the, the core, the heart behind the law, the spirit behind the letter. It is explaining to us why God said, for instance, thou shalt not murder. 
and the other ones. So he's giving us the heart behind it. It's also not exhaustive. These six things he deals with are certainly not all the major issues you're going to wrestle with on this adventure. So it's not exhaustive. There is a lot more you need to be someone who lives in the kingdom of God. It also is not only negative. It's not saying don't do this alone, but it it tells us therefore what we should do. And so we don't look just to the negative, we also look to the positive. Now I want to dig into these things and note that at first Jesus starts out in verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. First of all, Jesus' teaching was so radically different because he didn't teach like the other leaders. In those days, they would appeal to a certain scholar or rabbi and say, Rabbi so-and-so said such and such, and they would teach what another person said. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you've heard them say this, but I say to you. Now, right there, it says something about Jesus' authority. The Bible doesn't anywhere, nowhere in Jesus' words does he come out and explicitly say, I am God but he says it in so many other ways, and this is one of them. But I say to you, he speaks with divine authority as the son of God. And people picked it up really quickly what he was doing. So not only did he have authority, but then his words matter. So what is it that he's saying? He's trying to give us the underlying issue. And these are examples. They're like case studies. Again, not a new law coming down to say, this right here is is the whole thing on anger. Right here is the whole thing on lust or divorce or oaths or whatever. He's helping us understand what it looks like to pursue kingdom righteousness so that on this adventure, you can improvise in this next act so that you know this is the character of the kingdom. So how in this exact situation should I behave? What has Jesus shown me? So you have heard it said, you shall not murder. What's the issue behind that? Well, it's really anger. He says, but I say to you, if you're angry, you've you've already committed the sin. Why? Because at the heart level, anger precedes murder. Nobody commits murder without some heart provocation. And the, the positive, remember there's a negative and a positive. The negative is don't be angry, don't commit murder. The positive is pursue reconciliation. If you're at church offering your gift and you realize that something is not right in a relationship, stop. Leave your gift and go make amends. Go be reconciled and then come offer your gift. See, what happens with this is that murder and even anger before it breaks down community. It kills the body. It hurts. And he, and he says, if somebody has a grievance against you, Get it resolved. Don't, ta- don't let it end up in the courts. You won't get out until you've paid the last penny. It breaks down society. It break da- breaks down community. And God's ways are about life, and they're about health, and they're about goodness. Again, it's not restrictive. It's a blessing to be in this kingdom, this adventure. All right, then he, then he goes on. I'm gonna, I'm, there are six sections here, but I'm going to group two of them together and put lust and adultery together. And you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So the negative thing is divorce, adultery, those kind of things. The positive thing is lifelong fidelity, the way God intended it to be. The issue at the heart is lust or maybe even coveting. One of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his goods. And it's a list of other things that we covet. But the heart issue is about lust and coveting. The the end result would be lifelong fidelity once Jesus heals those things. It starts out just with adultery. 
Then you go on and there's an issue of oaths, which is really about false witness, another commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So the positive is be honest in all your dealings. In the kingdom of God, his subjects should be honest in their dealings. But what's the hard issue? The hard issue is about deception. I want to appear better than I really am. I want you to buy this thing I'm selling so I make it look better than it really is. I care more about appearances and results than I do about the heart issue. How about honesty in all my dealings? That's the way the kingdom works. That's the way the subjects of the kingdom should be. Retaliation. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Justice is good. The problem is that I am not able to be the judge. I promise you, if you gouge my eye out and I am the one to bring justice, I'll get both of yours. Promise you. There's no way I can see clearly to have an even exchange. So, again, this is about retaliation. So, what we really want is forgiveness. We need to be able to forgive. Forgiveness always costs somebody something. It always costs somebody something. You can't just say, I forgive you. I have, in order to do it, I have to give up the right to get even. That requires resources that are beyond my own. I have to give that up. So what is the heart issue? It's about vengeance. I want vengeance. I want revenge. You hurt me and I want to get you back. And Jesus is saying, no, in the kingdom, this is how it's going to work. We're going to be forgiving. While we were his enemies, he died for us. That's how he wins us. That's how we will win other people. And then the issue of hostility. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus turns that around and says, no, no, bless them. Bless your enemies. That's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. You're going to bless the enemies. And the heart issue is about hatred. You're not going to hate anyone. This is how it's going to work. So here are the heart issues. Anger, lust, coveting, deception, vengeance, hatred. These are just some of them. You can read further in the New Testament and get a, another list of other things. But you're not going to find an exhaustive list. Here are all of the sins. Here are all of the heart issues that have to be dealt with. Because it's an adventure with a living God who will lead you and help you. And so your, your improvisation that you have to do to live this life out will require some things. What does he offer? This is, this is the heart behind what he expects. But what does he offer so that you can do it? Well, first of all, he gives his cross, and he forgives you your sin. He takes you from being an enemy to being a friend of him. He takes away the shame of that. He takes away the guilt of it. He internally imputes to you his righteousness, even though you don't deserve it, so that then you can start to live a life that becomes externally righteous to match that imputed righteousness that he's given you. Those are huge gifts. Then he also gives his presence. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's what makes the adventure so great is you're not going on it alone. Not only is he beside you, he is in you by his spirit. For those who know the Lord, the spirit of God dwells within them. And you hear a voice saying in this immediate circumstance, walk this way, not that way. If you're willing to listen, if you're willing to go on the adventure with him. He also says, you're welcome at his table. You come to his table. You belong to a community of people who live in this kingdom. So you're not alone there either. There's companionship along the way on this great adventure. But it's not a new law coming down saying, here are the rules, follow all these. You can't make for yourself a, a full theology of divorce and remarriage from these two verses. You can't. You shouldn't. What you should do is back up and take the whole counsel of Scripture and then 
bring the Lord into whatever circumstance you're dealing with in your unique spot and say, what does the kingdom of God look like here and then going forward? It's, re- it's going to require wisdom, which he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask and he will grant it. It's going to require his power. It's going to require understanding and prayer and study. It's not just hear the rules. Let me just give you the rules. That's not how it works. So what to do with this? Well, talk to him about your heart, first of all. We started by saying, as we do every Sunday, to, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. So let's get that cleared up. He already knows what's wrong with your heart. So you don't have to hide it from him. You can just go to him and say, all right, of that list or the other lists, here's what I'm really dealing with. And let's just be honest, Lord. I want the, I want the adventure with you, so let's, let me take this to you. What do I do with it? Heal my heart. Why do I have that desire? Why do I have that thought? Why am I so angry at that person? You know, I love, I love reading the story of Jonah when twice in there he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And he goes, yes, I do. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. That's a real prayer conversation right there. I commend it to you. The Lord's asking, what's up with your heart? Take it to him. Talk to him about it. Invite him to work on it with you. Pursue him for healing. Talk to him about it. What will happen is you will become the kind of actor, so to speak, who can improvise in this life according to the kingdom of God and how it's supposed to work because you're going with him, with his presence, his spirit. And there's a sixth act coming. Another act is coming when Christ will return, all evil will be put away, and people will dwell in his presence perfectly. It will look like this, perfected. Don't stop until you are perfect. We are being prepared for that next act all will know how to be in it. And right now we can know what it's going to look like because we have him, we have his word. So let's go to him, not for a new law, but for simply to understand the heart of the law and begin to live in his power. That's how we become salt and light. And when the world sees that, they sit up and take notice. Then we become effective in mission. Then we become great witnesses for him. And you know what? We don't boast. We simply give glory to him because we recognize it was his power at work in us the whole time. So let's pray for that to be the case. Oh Lord, right now we hold before you our hearts. We know that you know everything about us. Lord, we ask you to inspire us on this adventure that we would long to be like you, that we would be perfect as your heavenly father is, that you would make us holy. Show us in our circumstances how to live. And I pray for that great joy of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.